This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. A handgun safe? How many handguns does a handgun safe hold? One. Like, this, it's, it mounts to the side of my bed. Is it one of oh. those, like, fingerprint, put your hand in, it opens? Yeah, yeah. And, like, I've been looking at him for a long time. I have a concealed carry, um, carry sometimes, not real overly, uh, disciplined about it, but I, I mean... Concealed carry in Colorado. Right, right. Um, and so sometimes when I go to bed, my pistol ends up in my bedside because it was in my hip. And so she bought me this safe for my birthday. It's the coolest damn thing I've ever seen in my life. It's incredible. What, what is it? What's so cool about it? Well, it's got a thumbprint thing. When you touch it with, your, with my thumbprint now, it shoots out and there's my pistol. Is it easy to th- get out if you're like on the bed? Super like- easy. The way it worked out, it's super, super easy. Like I actually mounted it to our bed. We have a solid oak bed. And I mounted it screwed the frame into the bed so when it pops out can you can your hand physically go over the entire handgun it's sitting in the middle of the safe it's not pressed up against the sides 
No, it's it's suspended in between some foam, which was the perfect way to do it. Like so, the the end of the barrel is in some foam. It's just sitting there. It doesn't move around. But then I grab it and have it, you know, instantly. Again, I don't really like. Not some big prepper, but <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, we're 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 in the middle of nowhere. If if someone shows up at our house in the middle of the night prepared to do uh mischievous things we're we're on our own to take care of it because we're in you're in the middle of nowhere though though people dump springbok slam taxidermy in your dumpsters right that was three miles away from the house but on our little area like so we don't have any trash service at the house we have to drive our trash almost three miles to a dumpster and yeah um i did discover there was a gentleman that lived here. I don't really want to get too much into his business, but he was actually a plane crash survivor, a commercial airline plane crash survivor. Okay. Um, and not there's no nothing celebratory about that. His mother was with him and did not survive. But anyway, because of that, him and his father received some money. I mean, like a substantial amount, and they hunted Africa four or five different times and he had a 60 by 100 building that I could not come up with an animal that I have ever heard hunted heard of hunted in Africa that wasn't life size mounted in there jeez and then every animal had its own individual uh landscape mural painted behind it on the walls of this building probably spent just as much on the taxidermy and the murals than he did on the hunt yeah potentially i mean there was a uh, lion and an elephant in there so those full-size elephant or just a head full-size 100 full-size a full-size elephant yep when he sold the plate now it, it was a great guy super nice human being super friendly um, he had a, as a, as a, um, I don't want to get in, he, he, he has some brain damage from going down in a 737 and being one of three survivors. Okay. Um, and, uh, came to a point where being up here, his family kind of decided he needed to go to town. Um, and the Denver Museum of Natural History sent a total, I believe, of five semis up and he donated everything to them. Wow. Well, that was the story we got. Now, someone is cleaning out the house because the sale's pending on it. And yesterday, I'm driving down the road to our house. And as I drive by the dumpster, I see something odd sitting outside the dumpster. And when I go back, it is a... That's the full color slam. Am I correct? Correct. All all four colors of spring black. Black, white, copper, and then regular. On a beautiful pedestal mount. I mean really nicely done with each each side of the pedestal had an insert of hide from each one of the heads that was on the pedestal and um left it or they left what? it the, whoever came and picked up all the other taxidermy left it something and the new owners didn't want it and uh probably was in their house it was probably not in the 60 by 100 and he just left it in the house and they're like yeah screw this 
Who the hell? Hunters. What the hell? Look at these guys glorified trophies on a pedestal. Well, right. <laughs> it was a beautiful mound. I, I think I can lay claim to being the only per I mean, other than other people, I, I think we can lay the only claim here at Twin Creek Ranch of being the only place in the world, only place in Colorado that yesterday had a full color slam of Springbuck pedestal mount sitting next to their dumpster. That's mm. pretty, pretty rare. And, and probably, probably just as rare, understanding what it is. Yeah, several of the people, because I, I, I went like right to some of the neighbors and I'm like, hey, I don't, I, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me where they came from. I told you that right away. Well, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I thought that, but then I thought, why would he have left it? You know, he mm. moved out. He moved out almost two years ago. Mm. But he did. He left it in a closet or something, and someone was cleaning the place out. And I now regret not having looked in the dumpster to see uh, what they chucked in there. Well, you can still go when is dumpster clear out. Mm, I think it's tomorrow morning. You could Might go down after the roundup, and you could almost do like an Insta story. Cody right. dumpster diving in Colorado for taxidermy. For African taxidermy, yeah. <laughs> very, uh, <laughs> very strange indeed. Um, have we gotten anything? I know we've been quite silent, so maybe the text message streams have been silent oh, too. We do, no? have text, uh, we do have some text messages, absolutely. Okay, let's hear them. Let me pull them up. Um, we've well, got one. Wait. Oh, go ahead. I said, whilst we're waiting, uh, as we typically do, we've got a couple of Conservation Club members that we'd love to give a shout out to, the people that support us, just because of what we do. They don't get, uh, we don't promise them anything, we don't promise them fame and fortune, and not that they're going to get either of those through Blood Origins, uh, but these are companies that have stepped up and said, look, we love what you guys do, we want you to keep doing it, uh, so uh, Method Archery. Method Archery, uh, go check them out. MethodArchery.com. They used to be Vector Arrows. You can get a bunch of arrows for the upcoming TAC season. I believe Method Archery is the official arrow sponsor of TAC. Oh. FYI. Hopefully, now that you said it. Um, yeah, hopefully. I think they are, though. Um, Outdoor Solutions. Um, big shout out to Greg Ray at Outdoor Solutions. They just came on board on the Conservation Club. They host field-to-table events and long-range shooting events, and they're going to come and partner with us on a pretty hefty giveaway in September that uh, we believe we're going to give away a, a entry into one of their long-range rifle schools, uh, as well as a, a pretty big whitetail package. And then finally, actually someone who came on board the Conservation Club today, uh, Chipungo Kambaku Safaris out of Africa. They run safaris in Mozambique, South Africa, Namibia, and Uganda. A uh, big shout out to Nikolai, Carleen, Jumbo, and the crew uh, for coming on board and just saying, yep, keep doing what you're doing. Very cool. Text messages. Um, we got a text message from Dave Gittleson. Dave's kind of one of my favorite textures. He sent a few... Uh... How's he doing lately? Well, calves are dropping. Oh. And, and... Any wolves in the area? There's two at every night around the house. So I think it's a... Pretty uh, nerve-wracking time. Luckily, just two um, remaining in the pack right now. So I um, had a neighbor that lost one to a calf. Um, it looks like Saturday. So five days prior to recording this. 
Um, send some send some trail cam videos. Um, Dave just really makes me think that he's a good like since trail cam picks of wolves and we kind of geek out a little bit together mm. on how on how cool it is to see wolves on trail cams, you know. And for anybody listening, this Dave Gittleson's a ranch in Colorado was the first ranch that got hit by um by wolves officially and uh, has been on the podcast several times talking about wolves and their interaction. Uh, we should probably get Dave back on the podcast um, towards the end of this year as they get closer and closer to Wolf reintroduction and see where he's at. Right, right. He, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think Dave will have a problem with me saying that uh, he definitely has, uh, he's definitely anxious about the restrict the ability. I, I meant to talk to Gaspar about this last week and forgot, but how strict they are about proving that the depredation of an animal, you know, most likely around here, a, a sheep or a cow, was by wolves. Like there's there's some serious frustration brewing with that. That you can have this fund, but if you deny every claim that it, that the wolf killed the right. animal, um, and I'm not saying. That's happening. I don't have any firsthand experience. Um, I just, it's very important that we don't let people get away with forcing these wolves onto the ranchers by saying they have a fund, but then denying the vast majority of the claims. Also, flip side of this. All right, I'm going to take three minutes here and you're going to get antsy because I'm staying on one subject too long. But <laughs> my mom's brother. Um, Your mom's brother. My mom's brother, my okay. uncle Ed, basically, um, not basically, literally, came back from Vietnam in the early 70s and ranched in Kansas and Colorado until he retired three or four years ago. Um, and I, he calls me one day and asked me how this, just, you know, just catching up and stuff, and then he said, "What's going on with this Colorado wolf thing?" Because he used to he used to work he used to manage two different big 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 ranches in Colorado. And the first thing I told him all about it, you know, I talked to him a little bit about the Gittlesons, and he had a ranch up there by them, and blah blah blah. The first thing out of his mouth was, "It's just as important that the ranchers don't abuse this as it is that everyone else doesn't abuse the ranchers." Hundred percent. And and I I it kind of blew my mind because I'm talking about I mean we're talking about a cowboy right mm -hmm. like the, the Marlboro Man rolling mm -hmm. him, rolling smokes and putting them in his mouth as fast as he could on the back of a horse <laughs> for 50 years right and uh, I don't know it was very it was a very astute thing then I I think if everyone just tried to compromise and get along and was honest if everyone was just honest. That this thing could actually work out pretty well. Um, so, but anyway, it's it's cabin season. They're coming down from and in there. They're we're coming out of the winter, and the calves are getting ready to drop. And that's obviously when the wolves do the worst. And so, I bet we don't get Gittleson on for a uh, for a couple of uh, a couple of weeks for sure. We got another text message from Dave from Indiana. 
Hey, Robbie and Cody, curious if either of you will be at the NRA annual meeting later this week. We will not. Uh, it is happening right now as we are doing this podcast. Um, we just, you know, there's probably some people there. There's probably some partners there that we probably need to talk to. Um, it may be on the calendar for next year. Uh, we're just a, in a very heavy content content grabbing phase right now um obviously spain was amazing um we're finishing we're going to new zealand i'm going to new zealand and by the time this podcast drops i will already be in new zealand in the backcountry filming with the seeker foundation uh one of our conservation projects for this year we're very very excited about uh, partnering with dick rs coop and bagara rifles on that conservation project so yeah maybe next year um Maybe put it on the I'll put it on the calendar. I think it's in Dallas, right? Somewhere in Texas. Indianapolis. The NRA? Oh, Indianapolis. Huh. Well, that's according to uh Dave from Indiana. Dave's in okay. Indiana, so he has a little bit of a heads up on both of us. I will uh take Dave's word then. Right. Next year. We'll figure it out. Chris from Utah. I gotta give Chris from Utah credit because for the last couple roundups. I have it. First of all, he gives very detailed messages, which I actually like, Chris. This is not me making fun of you. I got to make fun of you a little bit because it takes like five screen scrolls to get through your messages. But um, he sent us things that other people have. He hasn't gotten to mention and he deserves it because he sends us great stuff. But he did send us a link, which which we which we posted on on uh, social media about the uh, bear vending machines in Japan. Oh, yes. Got a, a ton of interaction. A ton of engagement. All right. What I like about that situation is, obviously, the Japanese government are very strict in their regulations in terms of take and wildlife take and whatnot. And, um, yeah, when it's almost like a delicacy, what else was in the vending machine? There was, like, whale, I think, in the vending machine. Yeah. Um, all sorts of exotic foods. But... The, the the priceless line in that article was almost like, you know, get it whilst it's good. <laughs> right. Bear meat is so good, it goes quickly, and the season is so short with, with obviously a set quota that it's not always available. What a what a change for the frickin' first world, man. Like $34 a pound is what the bear meat goes for. How much does ribeye? How much does like wagyu go for a pound? Um, Let's I have a look. Tell, I'll do it. I'll, I'll bet the internet. Wagyu maybe. beef price per pound. Let's have a look. Um, choo choo choo. High grade wagyu, which is produced in Japan and praised for its rich marbling, buttery flavor, can cost up to two hundred dollars per pound. With cows themselves fetching up to thirty grand. I've never. Uh, don't lie, you've had wagyu before. No, oh, absolutely, I've had wagyu, and I don't get it. <laughs> I don't. I seriously don't. And I, I mean, I've eaten. I'm by no means a a uh, knowledgeable connoisseur of beef, but probably not a lot of forty-seven-year-olds that have eaten more beef than me. Do you I mean, think not... you've got a, a, a palate that's 
discerned enough to be able to tell the differences between like those upper echelons of beef? Doesn't matter. None of that matters. <laughs> I have I have my palate. And I can tell you that I've got a buddy that raises some unregistered Angus, which is basically just a black cow, and feeds them corn. And if you cut it, it to, to me, it's so much more about how the butcher cuts it. And I've had I've had steaks out of its that were as good as any wagyu that I've ever had in hmm. my life. Wag- hmm. Anyway, I'm I'm not saying it's not good; it's delicious. But I'm telling you. But what about, like, have you, you've never heard, going back to Japan, you've never heard of, like, I've never heard of any, like, anti-hunting stuff come out of Japan. No, I don't think, I think that they very much, like, you know, Japan's still whaling. Like, obviously, you mentioned there's whale meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In some of the vending machines. And I think, you know, like. Do you think they're still more in touch with, like, their cultural heritage than anyone else in the world? I don't, I don't, I don't have any idea. I think there's also a possibility that they have very little real estate and a shitload of people they got to feed. I mean, that's, I, I think there, I think that's genuinely a factor in there, that there is no way that those little islands can in and of themselves produce. And I do think that, you know, I do think their heritage and culture is very much against depending on others in a big way. Um. I think that's possibly a, a driving factor in the whole thing is, you know, we want to, we want to take care of ourselves and we have a lot of people on a little bitty chunk of group, but it would be very hard to figure out, figure out how to feed. Don't you think like, if you were going to say across the board around the world, what's the one animal that people are the most against hunting? Don't you think it's probably whales? Yeah, yeah. Whales, wolves, elephants. Maybe. Well, you got that whole uh, dolphin thing in the cove. That have you seen that documentary? Oh, that also. Wolves? Yeah, that. Well, that was part of sea spiracy, right? But then you've also got. I think it's dolphins. Dolphins are whales in the Faroe Islands, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, legitimately, it's just like any other. Any other food resource, right? There's no difference. Let's let's be pragmatic here for a second. Let's not put emotion into it and any anthropomorphism. There shouldn't be a difference between taking a cow and taking a dolphin. Here's the problem, though. Not, not a problem. I guess it is a problem. It's just like the speed bump in the whole thing. It's how much harder it is. Like, do you think anybody really knows how many whales or dolphins are left? I mean... That, like, no, 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 no. They, they, they don't. The confidence intervals in terms of sampling strategy, like for instance, the biggest bottlenose dolphin stock that America has is the Bay Sound and Estuary stock that lives in Louisiana and Mississippi, right? That was an, a, you know, they had an estimate population. I think this is before the freaking Bonnie Carey spill and knocked out about a thousand dolphins. I think they thought they had about 2,900 dolphins. Plus or minus, which is a, the confidence interval around what they think is the number, was like plus or minus 900. It was a monstrous confidence interval. So pl- plus or minus 30%. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like plus or minus 1%. <laughs> 
when when nerdy biologists are doing shit like that, how do they make up the plus or minus? No, it's not made up. It's just based on the data set that you have. It's just based on the number, the, the sample size that you have, and then the. When it comes to counts like that, it's it's all based on area and numbers. So that's what's going to drive your variability around your your variability and your confidence around the average number that you believe. So, for instance, if uh, population counts are tough, but for instance, I can use an example like let's just use it: elephant tusk length. If we had a thousand tusks. And all t- all the tusks were in and around two and a half meters long. Not that they are, but those are woolly mammoth t- tusks, right? So half meter, let's go half meter. Then your confidence interval around half meter would be plus or minus 10 centimeters or five centimeters, which is, would be a very, very strong confidence that that is an average size. But if you're dealing with maybe 10 elephants and they're their numbers stretched from one meter to 10 centimeters, then your confidence interval around how big an average elephant tusk is is going to be much, much larger. So it all comes down to sample size and the variability of the quote-unquote number or count. So you contend that I'm wrong if I say that they're making up a number and then they're making up how far off they are on the number. They're not making it up. The statistics are driving those numbers. What is, what what they're saying is the number that they're coming up with is is bracketed between this large parenthetical. I understand the concept. I'm saying it's not made up. Like it's 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 data that is being collected. No, it's not. Data is collected and. The extrapolation is is a modeling exercise. You can you can you can say that maybe modeling is making things up. An educated guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll go with that. I do think they're better at making up these numbers than I am. I think their made up numbers are more accurate than my made up. Well, maybe I may guess spot on. Uh, no, you wouldn't. Chance. You wouldn't have any data to, well, to guess. Uh, well, I could just like now. I could just say, you know what? There's three thousand one hundred eighty-four bottlenose dolphins in the Louisiana and Mississippi estuary, or whatever <sighs> the hell. So, and I'm I may be exactly right. No, you're not. I might be though. You don't know. Nobody I mean, knows. The probability of you being right is. The whole, my whole point here is that's the only thing. There are certain species that are easier to understand populations and then other species that is very, very, very difficult, specifically animals that you cannot see over right. vast areas of the world, i.e. the oceans. Yeah, and that's, that's, the, only, uh, that's the only thing that, that uh, you know, I, I, I don't want us to... Also, don't feel like we could actually extinct whales. Like I just, I feel like they would just leave. Not that we should try, or not that we should overhunt them, but I don't know. But like it's a, I, I wish we had a better way to know what the numbers are. And as long as the numbers are healthy, I'm all in favor of a, of a regulated hunting program. But uh, I don't know how we could ever know what the numbers are. 
There's some people with good educated guesses. Yeah, we're making shit up. Hold on, we got another text. I got sidetracked. The uh I didn't do Todd from uh South Dakota. Todd's by one of our most loyal texters. Um he just wanted to mention that he thought it was cool. He uh first of all he said, Great to hear you back on the roundup, Cody. Um, from last week, so he was missing me. And then right <laughs> as he finished, Right as he finished the podcast, um, he got an email from Hal for Wildlife um, regarding the legislation that we discussed on uh, on the roundup last week with Gaspar. Hal for Wildlife deserves a plug, I think. I mean, hell I just, yes, hell I think, yes. Uh, I think uh, you know, in I think the biggest thing in the world that we that good people don't end up doing their part on some of these things is you're busy, right? I get it. I'm not really that busy, but I feel busy and I don't want to do things sometimes. Um, Alpha Wildlife sure makes it easy um, to throw to have your, your voice hood. Absolutely. Um, and it, it's not like a big time commitment. It's not a big money. It's not a money commitment. It's not an anything commitment. They're going to like, they're going to let you know and then they also are going to provide you a very easy avenue to have your voice heard on uh, issues that matter for uh, wildlife and hunting across the country. So go check out. Well, Alpha not just wildlife. across the country. They're now stepping out across borders. Um, so yeah, massive shout out to Charles and John and the team there. Um, they have the, the the wolf legislation action. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. And then they also have right now the action for South Australia bow hunting. They figured out how to get a hold of the MPs in South Australia, and there are emails flooding into their inboxes, and they don't know what to do about it. <laughs> yeah, and that's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, as far as I know, it's by far the most wide-reaching use of technology to amplify people's voices on these matters. And, Correct. and to be, if we're going to be, if we're going to be uh, humble and honest, we're about 10 years behind the animal rights extremists. Totally agree. Um, and so it's so easy, man. I know there's people listening to this that are like, I don't like this crap. I don't want to get involved. And I sure as shit don't have time to get involved in something that's four States away or in Australia. Um, but, Charles and John and those guys made it super, super simple. Go check super out Alpha simple. Wildlife. Throw your name in the hat um, and let them just send you an email saying, here's something we need your voice on. You still get to decide. Still get to decide if, if, if you want to participate, but go check that out. Yeah, 100%, dude. Like, I, I told Charles this and I've told anyone that will, that will hear me and listen to me. Alpha Wildlife's action campaign, their mechanism, their what they do is what was needed. It's what we needed at Blood Origins. We don't live in that world. Uh, we create content for that world, and it's just a perfect symmetry of what they do and what we do. So, yeah, cannot say enough good things about what Hal for Wildlife is doing. Okay, last text. Dave from Wisconsin. Dave, I owe you an apology because Dave has been texting us about this topic for about three weeks now. Um, we just haven't had a, a, there's, I don't know what the reason are. I didn't get to it, Dave. I'm sorry, but we're getting to it now. Dave was going through his, uh, trapper's education course in Wisconsin. 
Okay. And there is an entire brochure and a, a uh, partner YouTube video that is put out. It looks like by um, a trapper's, maybe four different trappers associations in Wisconsin. The title of the uh, brochure in the video is Regulated Trapping and Social Media. Nice. Giving uh, hints, suggestions, feedback on what may hurt and what might hurt and what will hurt um, trappers as a whole if you don't put some thought into your social media as a That's trapper. That's amazing. That is amazing. I was talking to Mark Hall out of Canada, and uh, he was invited to go and interact with one of the Houndsman Associations um, in, in British Columbia. And interestingly enough, and I thought this was quite a, a, a fantastic thing, that Houndman's Association has a zero social media policy. For their members, i.e., we don't want you posting anything. And I get it, especially from a houndsman perspective. Like, obviously, we're, you know, if you're going to do it, do it with all the things that we talk about. But, like these guys have said, we're just not going to do it. And we're going to tell our members, you're not, if you're a member of us, we don't want to see anything that you're doing from a hounding perspective on social media. I'm not in favor of that. No, I'm, 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 I'm completely in favor of that association's right to do that, right? Like, I'm, there's a lot of things in the world that I wish wouldn't happen, but I would also fight for a person's right to do them because there shouldn't be a law against them doing that. But <clears throat> I, I don't ever think that if you're doing something that you know is good and ethical and right, that there should be a written down policy to keep it secret. But. If the chance of someone doing absolutely something ridiculous, vile, unethical, disrespectful, and the finger then gets pointed at the houndsman of British Columbia and gets picked up and thrown into government, and all of a sudden a law is placed that there is no more hounding in British Columbia, you still stand by? Yeah, hundred percent. First of all, I got to state again, I would, I would fight to protect this association's right to have this policy, okay? I, I, I have nothing wrong with the fact that they have the policy. Um, I just don't think keeping the fact that you do this legal and ethical thing that the science is behind secret but it wasn't secret 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when we didn't have social media. Right. But uh, that, that, that's the way people commute. I, I don't... If you're doing the right thing, I don't know why you have to keep it secret. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have some common sense in your messaging and, and, and not be... If you're an idiot, you're an idiot, regardless of social <laughs> media. You know? And and I don't uh, I don't know I just think communication and openness and 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 transparency um, 
are are the best policy in in organizations and policies and and i don't think i i think that if someone is out there with hounds that they should show them taking care of and raising their hounds and training their hounds um and and you maybe know, they do much... allow that kind of stuff maybe they do maybe it's the hunt itself i don't know yeah i don't, I don't I go into the details of it it doesn't really matter the details it's going to be a discussion that we're having about social media and and our uh lives for a long time mm-hmm. yeah it's only going to get more and more prevalent for sure well um we have obviously our regular texters uh if you are listening to this and you have not texted us yet the answer the question is why not and two please do so you can even just pause the podcast after you get the text message number from cody cody text message number Six two zero eight six zero forty eight zero four. So just text that number. You can hit pause on the podcast right now. You can rewind it and listen to it again. You can get the number and text us. Text us an, uh, a question. Text us if you hate us, if, if we suck, if we're good. Just text us. Let me, uh, let me do one more text. From to a inspire has, someone to text us. Who has... This is a person that has remained anonymous. Um, remained anonymous. And... Uh, had some... We've had some pretty in-depth text discussions about labels. Um, it goes all the way back to... Um, we had a big discussion one time about... My personal opinion is... We should just call people hunters, and people should just call themselves hunters, and it would all be a lot easier. Yeah. Instead of saying I'm a bow hunter, or I'm a bear hunter, or I'm a duck hunter. Um, and we had a really good conversation about this. This person sent me a text. Um, I don't know anything about them. Don't know where they're from. Don't know their name. My wife want. It says I have a question for you guys, and I don't know who else might know. My wife wants to redecorate my office. And wants to use an exotic pelt. Okay. The the internet is full of them to buy. But how do I know... How does this person know it wasn't poached? He then responds with, I know your answer is to harvest it myself, but I have no desire to harvest them. Your input. Um... I do not know the answer to that. I do not know unless... Unless you have a tag that goes along with that fur or that pelt, that's the only way you're going to know that it wasn't poached. But I will say this, the only animals that you're going to probably buy that are quote-unquote poached in a legitimate store, gosh, I don't think there's going to be many, if any. Um, If it's a black market type scenario, then who knows what you can get your hands on. Um, but I will put this out there. I don't know what kind of exotic pelt he's looking for, but I do know some zebra skins that were taken legally that are for sale in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. They came out of Doug Cockcroft's splitting image taxidermy. So if you want to know where they came from, papers, licenses, we can get that. Um, but give us a shout. A zebra is a pretty cool exotic pelt for for an office. That's what I would go for right away. 
there you go. There's the answer. Send us a message at uh, 620-860-4804 and we'll uh, hook you up with a zebra pelt that Robbie pronounces incorrectly. Uh, no, it's zebra because that's where they live. Not, they do not live. Not. I, I, what do I you can... call, a, how do you spell Z-O-O? Zoo? Exactly. So why don't you call it a zebra? You don't call it a zoo. You call it a zebra. It's a zebra, like a zoo. Zoo, z, z, zebra, zoo. Zebra. I'm saying the Z the same as you are. No, I you're just, not. I'm just zebra. I'm, I'm running zoo. a long Z. Z. I think I could anyway. come up with about 300 million people in the country that you live in that disagree. <laughs> Anyway, give us a text, um, and that person with the, with the zebra pelt, um, uh, the rust, you can actually look it up online on Facebook, the rustic zebra in Waveland, Mississippi. Do you have zebra pelt any, for sale. Do you have anything taxidermied in your house? Or preserved, like even a pelt that's just tanned? Yeah, yeah I've got several on but the you, wall right now around me. No, no, no. There's a caveat. That you didn't harvest, or that oh, wasn't, for that, sure. that wasn't passed down to you. Oh. Okay, everything. I, I harvested the Impala. The bushbuck was given down to me. Uh, this is a blessed buck that was given to me. But then this one is, this is an Axis doe. I got an Axis doe skin here that was given to me by Mike Axelrod in Texas. But I know that okay, he so took it. Gift. Okay, let me rephrase. Like, I'm not passing any judgment on anyone. No, here. I have never in like Johannesburg International Airport. You've been through Johannesburg International Airport. I have. You can go into the store there and you can buy a Springbok pelt. Right. Or a zebra pelt or a cow pelt. Right. Which I'm not opposed to, nor am I opposed to anyone doing it. I just can't imagine myself doing it. But I can also see the fact that somebody is interested in having a zebra pelt or a springbok pelt or an impala pelt, and they don't have the financial resources to go do it, number one. Number two, maybe they don't have the desire, but they like it. I see both those scenarios. I see the scenarios too, they're just not me, I guess. Cody, there are a lot more people in this world other than you. There are people that say zebra. No, zebra. Yeah, the one country in the world. Well, I don't. I shouldn't say that. Maybe one continent. Do they do like the British say zebra? Yes. There's no other country in the world that says zebra. There's no other country in the world that you chose to move to either. That's true. And if they were native here, I would say it. But they're not. Okay, that's legit. I'm done like, with text. Do you say wildebeest or do you say wild beast? I say wildebeest. Wildebeest. It's not a V. It's not a V. It's a W. <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right. All right. All right. Um. Well, wait. So, no. Seriously. Seriously. Why? Why do? Why do you make it a V? Oh, because it's that's an Afrikaans word. Actually, it's not an English word. So spring buck is actually spring bop, right? That's Afrikaans. Wildebeest, wildebeest is Afrikaans. Spring bok looks like that. 
like it's B O K at the end, right? Yeah, the Afrikaans terminology, Afrikaans spelling of it is Springbok. Yeah, B O K. But B U C K is what a lot of people say because that's English. Wildebeest, you know, is is a W always a V sound in Afrikaans? Ooh, I'd have to ask Afrikaner. Maybe not always, but very often. Okay. All right. No more distractions from me, sir. Uh, pretty excited about the New Zealand trip. Have you ever been to New Zealand? Um, I missed out <laughs> on a stag hunt and fly fishing in New Zealand because of COVID. And um, I haven't... Was, was that uh, with Carver? You guys were going to go with Sean, right? Yeah. Yeah, booked and everything. It's not pushed? Um, it's so it it's been rebooked, yes, for 2024. But it, they also, like, we now have been invited to New Zealand and Africa in 2024 for hunts. And uh, well, not sure. Better get your calendar squared away. Not sure that the whole bank account uh, is is uh, I'm not sure that's a thing. So we're um we're trying to uh, you'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll get there someday. And I honestly, I mean, I want to, I want to fly fish there, hundred percent. I mean, if I had to pick between the two, even between the stag hunt and fly fishing, big brown trout, big I mean, rainbows. Like, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's on the list for sure. And I mean, right there, very. I, I also would like to do a stag hunt, but if I end up having to pick, I will definitely fly fish in New Zealand. Well, we're definitely going to document the heart of New Zealand hunters. Uh, firstly, with the Seeker Foundation, Cam Speedy, you know, we invested about 35,000 New Zealand dollars into the Seeker Foundation this year from Blood Origins perspective. Phenomenal conservation project, pretty much funded their entire operation for this year, uh, setting trap lines. We're going to film traps being built, traps being installed, traps working film all the sort of volunteers on the ground of what they do, why they do it. Um, How about for our listeners, you say what they're trapping and why? Yeah, so what they're trapping is stoats, weasels, rats, cats, all nuisance predators. I wouldn't call them pests, but nuisance predators that obviously feed on a very unique native fauna in New Zealand, which is the kiwis, which is a flightless bird, and then the pheo duck, which is their blue duck, their national duck, uh, tends to nest on the river banks, and so um, their nests are very susceptible to nest predators. So they want to reduce those nests. They want to reduce the predator population as much as possible to a point of hopefully eradication, um, and at the same time. Two other species that are uh, non-native species is rainbow trout in the streams uh, that we will be fishing for to get quote-unquote rid of, but we'll be eating them for lunch, hopefully. And then the Seeker Foundation is obviously interested in increasing the quality of the, of the deer herd, the Seeker deer herd. And so population management of the Seeker deer specifically is very important. So we will be taking out any does, uh, management animals that are encountered as we're putting trap lines down. So let me, when you say increasing the quality of the herd, like, uh, what, what do you mean? 
trophy. Yeah, so a, a lot of these guys are, you know, they they do aim for good quality, like a quality deer management type protocol, um, but mainly quality from a health of the deer herd perspective, in that they want to minimize the population of the herd, that then allows the the, the females to be nice, healthy, fat, nutritious. Uh, it also allows the native flora to be vibrant, to be biodiverse. So really the quality that they're after is just a general ecosystem health quality for the animal and for the ecosystem. Is there a conundrum, but just to talk about New Zealand specifically, obviously this question applies to other parts of the world, but I think New Zealand might be one of the best examples of it. Like, isn't it something crazy? Like, there's no native mammals or something. One, a, f- a bat. Yeah, bats like an honorary. But the the <laughs> fact that the fact that no, a bat there is, is zero, mammal, there is zero mammals, native mammals to New Zealand. That's why they had the most diverse, flightless bird um, population in the world. Oh, because there was no natural predators, really. Correct. Well, the flighted birds had to have eaten some of the flightless birds. Um, I don't think they have any flighted predator birds. I'd be. I, let me. I. I could stand corrected, but I don't believe they have any flighted predator birds. They don't have hawks or owls or falcons. That's I owls. don't know. It just feels like there's a like I never really understand. So, New Zealand has three resident native birds of prey. New Zealand falcon, the swamp harrier, and the moroport. That's it. Okay. Though, here's an interesting thing. Because, obviously, you're right. Because of their history of flightlessness, they had this bird called the moa, Cody. The moa was like... Hold on, let me see. Let me get a good idea of it. The moa was a massive bird. It was like, let me see, uh, the moa looked like ostriches and emus, um, but they towered over an ostrich. These moas were 12 foot tall, dude. Double so the size of an ostrich. And you're saying not in dinosaur times? Uh, let me see, when did they go extinct? 600 years ago, by hunting by humans and changing their habitat. Could you imagine a moa bird today? Six, it was only 600 years ago, man. Right, yeah. And this is so not dinosaur times at all. No, no, no. Yeah, no and here's the other coolest thing. is they One of the extinct birds in New Zealand was the Haast's eagle. H-A-A-S-T-S. You wanna do you wanna know the characteristic? What give me a, a a guess to the characteristic of the Haast eagle? I don't know what what kind of characteristic is it? A size characteristic? Yeah, it was flight. It was flightless. No, 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 no. Oh, I don't know how tall was it. It was the it's the largest and heaviest eagle ever described, ever found, which makes sense if they were freaking tackling things like moas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the 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 ecosystem there is just incredible, and it always seems like this conundrum of, you know, obviously you can't. I I think they're past the uh, 
point of wanting to or being able to take it back, you know, like get rid of the invasive things completely. Um, but uh, the, the balancing there of of managing that seems like, you know, in, in Colorado, we worry slightly about some fish, you know, and then it goes to algae. Mm. Is, is like our our invasive things, and pretty much everything over there is non non. Not everything's not native. That's a silly thing to say, but they have so many non native things that are now a huge part of their ecosystem and their economy. Yep, yep. It's uh, Australia has the same situation, um, but New Zealand obviously all of the mammals need to be managed in some sort of fashion. So we're going to spend time with the Seeker Foundation. We're going to spend time with Snow Houston, who's the head of the Tar Foundation. He was our point of contact during the whole Tarmageddon situation. We're going to tell his Blood Origins episode. And, you know, we're constantly evolving our content, constantly thinking outside the box on how do we get our content better. Snow Houston's Blood Origins episode will be the first episode that we expand. So we're really going to embed with Snow for three days. And we're going to go tar hunting, essentially, with Snow and really get an in-depth story. We're going to do classic Blood Origins interview, of course, but the B-roll and the pre-roll and the end roll is going to be a lot more... There's going to be a lot more depth to the individual, so we're quite excited about that. Um, And then we're going to go down to Roy Sloan and the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation. We also funded the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation to the tune of about 30000 New Zealand dollars um and to help them with trap lines in the in one of their famous valleys the Glasnock Valley and um it's just the way that Roy Sloan and this is the probably the, the the part of the trip that I'm most excited about um Roy Sloan describes Fjordland Cody as the Amazon on top of the Himalayas uh. and uh, a videographer, a cinematographer, friend of ours, Cam Henderson in New Zealand, actually just went into the Fjordland for us and captured some content on a documentary that we're, we think we're working on in New Zealand, all about food acquisition. And the content that he sent back, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll WhatsApp it to you quickly. I'll send you a couple of screenshots quick. But I'm telling you now, dude, it is like a primordial forest. It is unfrickin' believable, the landscape. It's just mountainous and ferns everywhere, and you name it, man. It's just like, and obviously just a shit ton of rain. Like, the guys are, I just sent it to you, just a crap ton of rain everywhere. And, um, but I'm really excited to see it, because supposedly, like, ecologists and biologists say that that place in Fjordland is like it's never been changed. It's like if you stepped on in that place 18,000 years ago, the same plants and the same animals are there, except for obviously the, the elk, the wapiti that got brought in in 1905 by Theodore Roosevelt that have now hybridized with the red deer. Okay, so that was my... Yeah, no. First of all, I don't mean to change the subject. That part of the... Uh... The ecosystems of New Zealand is one of the most interesting things to me and how just diverse and intense it is. My next question was when you use the word wapiti. Wapiti. Um, 
they Same don't thing. they don't have any they're all hybridized down there, right? Correct. There's no Correct. there's no uh Roosevelt elk purebreds wandering around. No, anymore. there was only seventeen, I believe. Seventeen or eighteen elk given to them in nineteen oh five. And they got dropped in this primordial forest. <laughs> so one of the animals I'd sent you was a red stag. Have you look at it? It's a red stag roaring. Looks like it's in the middle of a roar, yeah. And it looks it looks uh it it looks very much like an Ameri- like a North American elk in the in the body in the backside. Mm-hmm. But then the roar and the and the horns obviously have some pretty serious uh, stag influence. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's going to be an amazing trip. I'm very very excited. Obviously, we're super grateful to Dicarius Coop and Bogara for investing these um, incredible conservation dollars into New Zealand. And hopefully we do it justice in terms of like showcasing how amazing of a job and work that these guys do in in the backcountry of New Zealand, man. Yeah, no, I, I mean I'm I'm jealous. It's a place that I want to go. It's a place on the really one of the one of the few places that I ever want to go that I haven't been. A lot of places that I want to return to. I don't want to be done traveling, but New Zealand is, uh, I mean, I've been to Australia and, and, and been to Africa and, and New Zealand is a place that I haven't been that I definitely want to go. Hundreds. Hundred percent. So yeah, I'll, uh, we'll do some roundups from New Zealand uh, with the teams there. Um, I don't know if we'll do another roundup between now and May, like I'm, I, I, I leave New Zealand May second-ish. I'm gonna go see some family in Australia. Go see some, some Blood Origins partners in Australia. Then I'll be back May the fifteenth. Um, so that week will be the first time we get together from a roundup perspective. Sounds good. I'll be here holding the fort down. <laughs> I'll send you pictures. Excellent. Excellent. Anything else? No, I don't think so. It's been it's been a uh, been a good little discussion here. Uh, if you have not ever texted us before, again, do yourself a favor. Do us a favor. Text us at six two zero eight six zero forty eight zero four. Really, text us anything you want. Anything about anything about yeah. anything doesn't matter. Ask us what our feelings are on X or Y. Or, do you know this person? Do you know that person? I don't know. Right. Fire it up. 620-860-4804. And um, don't forget to leave us a rating. Leave us a review on the podcast. Uh, Every little bit helps. Uh, We certainly uh, appreciate all of your support. Uh, And, yeah. Go find some more more taxidermy. Go dumpster dive. Gotta go. I gotta go find turkeys. Time to start scouting turkeys. I got people coming to hunt turkeys. Uh oh. All right, Chub. All right, later. Ciao, ciao. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.